think I cut you on. Hey, Tanner, can you kill this monitor over here? Yeah, we'll work with it. Well, how is everyone today? Y'all seem a little bit sleepy. What was going on? You know, I promise you I wasn't at a Red Raiders watch party and these bloodshot eyes aren't a result of that. My allergies are kind of working in overtime today. And I was doing well until I got back into this, this fun glue smell. But man, praise the Lord for the new carpet. Doesn't it look great? If you haven't seen it, walk out that way. Look in the offices and the parlor. Looks good. Oh, thank you all for the music today. Wasn't that great? Give them another round of applause, please. This is how we worship together as a community, as a corporate gathering. And Janet, I want to uh, thank you. I don't know where, where there you, you're back down this way, for, for that prayer. You know, I was asked uh, to, to specially lift up, up uh, Greg uh, today, and I didn't ask you, and yet you took it upon yourself because you have a heart and you have an ear that listens to the people. So I thank you for, for lifting him up. But that's how we are as brothers and sisters. When we have uh, someone in our congregation or in our community that are hurting, we talk about it amongst ourselves, and we take it upon ourselves because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe each and every one of us has the right to lift up others in intercessory prayer, especially when they're hurting or uh, sick or grieving. We take that upon ourselves to do. You know, I may be the pastor, the leader of this congregation, but, you know, from Baptist standpoints, I'm just kind of a first among equals. Because of my role and my position, it gains me a little bit of authority, but each and every one of you has just the same rights as I do before our Heavenly Father. And that is a comforting fact for this pastor because I'm not perfect. I mess up. I, I, people tell me things in passing. I don't write them down, and it slips from my mind. Uh, especially the more and more kids we seem to have and the nights that we're doing this and that. Memory's not as what it used to be. You might give an amen to that one. <laughs> well, I'm so thankful for the congregation that we serve here together. Well, today we return uh, to our series through the New Testament. We've made it to Luke chapter 22. Uh, I would attempt to recap what took place between last Sunday and today, but it is a lot of good stuff. Um, if you didn't get a chance to read this week, as we're preparing for, for Easter and the Holy Week not too far uh, from now, this was a great section to do. It talks about, you know, those final days leading up to Holy Week. And, and in Luke 22, it, it would be nearly impossible to preach this text in its entirety. For it's just rich from the plot to kill Jesus to the final Passover Supper and the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we continue today, to arguments between who is the greatest and to Peter's famous denial. And Jesus promised them that before the clock would tick, or however you say it, the, he would have denied them three times. But I want to look at a particular verse here today. And it may, be, it may not have been what you'd have picked to preach on out of this particular text, but it's one that has bothered me ever since I've read it. Luke chapter 22, verse 36. And Jesus still speaking to his disciples, the Mount of Olives, this whole scene so precious to the Holy Week, tells them this. He says, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, 
And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this, that this scripture must be fulfilled uh, in me. And he said, and he, sorry, and he was numbered with the transgressor. For what was written about me has been its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Sell your cloak, buy two swords. Really? Well, that's kind of bothered me. I don't know if you've ever read this text and just stopped and thought about it and reflected on what it meant. We see that there's a transition. There's a changing of guard. The disciples, those followers of Jesus, are now about to become leaders in a community. They are not going to be the ones who just get orders and take them. But they are going to be charged with the creation of the church, a product of which we are descendants of. They are sent into a world, as it said back in chapter 10, as, a, as sent out as sheep among wolves. Because this is a continuation of a story that began in chapter 10. It's when Jesus started training his disciples to be the leaders that they were becoming in his presence here. He would send them out. He gathered them up and sent them on these local missions. And he said, don't take with you a money bag. Don't take with you a knapsack. Don't take anything on your journey. And you will see how God provides for you. And so that's how they did. Because Jesus was with them. He had given them the authority to cast out demons. But more importantly, Jesus was a popular figure. Jesus was praised by the crowds. And people flocked to hear what he had to say. For him to touch and heal their sick and their lame. Even to raise the dead. But now times were changing. That one that the crowds flocked to, to hear a message from the Lord, to be touched in a special way, to be restored, that same crowd would turn on him in a moment's notice. And what their mission was before, to go into the world, hadn't changed. But the reality of life had where they could go and depend on the kindness of strangers to prepare for them because they were some of Jesus' men. It was a blessing to have them in the house. Culture was about to change and turn on these very men. So let's look at it. Let's look at these verses. What's the money bag? Resources. When I read this scripture, I think of another one in Luke. It's found in chapter 14. It's a parable that he tells him. It starts in verse 28. He said, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it and begin mocking him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Counting the cost. Do we do that? You know... When you talk about church growth and these kind of things, you can go to conferences and they can give you the latest buzzwords and, and how we're not calling it Sunday school, we're calling it life groups or e-life and these kind of things. And there's all kind of ways to help uh, repackage the gospel message to this generation. And that's not bad things, but sometimes we get so caught up in the programming and we think we're going to be able to do something to create this drive in our congregation to bring in people from the community. But did you catch that this we? We're going to do it. For if God's not in it, it's not going to take place. 
But churches have, and I've seen it before, and I know pastors who've inherited congregations that were burdened by a heavy load of finances, of loans, of debts. Because, you know, there was this spirit that we're going to build this great new gym and all the local kids are going to start flocking to us. And because we have this facility, we're just going to start packing out the pews. You know, I call that the old field of dreams model of evangelism. You build it and they will come. It doesn't really work that way. If you're not filling the pews now, if you are not packing out the house now, what makes you think a building is going to do that? It is only Jesus Christ that will bring them in. We could build a much larger facility. We could tear out those back walls, put in a coffee bar, put in televisions in all of our Sunday school room, have all the latest gidget, gidgets and gadgets and all that kind of stuff. Well, that changed the fact that our community is shrinking year after year. It doesn't. But Jesus says, your mission is now changing. I am still sending you into the world to carry the message. In Matthew, we are given the Great Commission. That has not changed for his disciples, who are now transitioning from followers to leaders. But he says, you've got to take the resources with you. He's the one who's going to fill those purses. But you've got to be responsible. As these men were learning what it meant to be leaders in their community... He had already begun to teach them over and over in parables. And so when we think about that man who set to build a tower, he considered the cost. And he took time to count and calculate to figure how much did he need? Did he have enough? Or would this be a failure? I mean, a farmer doesn't go off with a hopper full of seeds if he knows he doesn't have enough to finish the job. Because why would you? I remember one time watching my father-in-law plant corn. He had one of those little five-row planters. And he went out across the field, planted, got back, noticed there was a problem. Two of those little cedars, whatever you call them, y'all can correct me on the terminology later, they were still filled with corn. There was a malfunction in the mechanism that dropped the seed down the chute that planted in the ground and the row closed up. Which rows did not plant? You can figure it out on the first couple passes, right? Because you can just count. When you have a big enough field, you start losing track of where the corn didn't go. So what did he do? He had to wait. He had to wait to see what sprouted. He had thought he had counted the cost, but he hadn't considered the mechanical problems that he had faced. And so when we look at life, we've got to consider the resources. We've got to consider where God is leading us to go. And yes, you may end up taking a loan on a property because if you've talked to any businessmen, sometimes it's better to go ahead and do it now because the rates of increase on product will outweigh the cost of interest later. And it may be feasible to take a little bit of loan. It may be feasible to take a loan on a house, these kind of things. But you have to consider all the facts. You've got to consider what God has laid on your heart. But if the congregation is shrinking and you don't seem to be able to impact the community, you might need to consider that the resource that you most need the most is not a facility that will draw them in, but a vibrant relationship with Christ and a heart for the community you want to reach. 
For if you're not in tune with where God is leading you, it will never succeed because only God will do the work for you. It says, and likewise, take a knapsack. Take some snacks. Take some nourishment. You're going to need it in where you go. But then this sword one, this is the one that keeps bothering me. Because you, you read Jesus, and, and he's a pacifist, sort of. He's not scared to confront people. But he doesn't bring warfare. But yet he does. He has sayings like, I've come to divide and split, to bring a sword, not to bring peace. These things trouble you if you read the life of Jesus and so you wonder, what does he mean? Well, you can do your exegesis and you can look up the Greek and you can see, well, well this sword that he's talking about is really more of a dagger. It's more of a personal protective device. It's like carrying a pistol with you, not a high-powered rifle. Or maybe it's about this prophecy. We know that many things in the gospel fulfilled the prophecy about him. So I look back into the book of Isaiah Chapter 52, verse 12 and 13 tell us this. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, and shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exhausted. But then it goes on in 53, verse 12, and tells us this. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. So was it just about being labeled as bandits? Was that what he was wanting to happen? That the disciples would be labeled as these bandits? Because we know how the scene went down. He was labeled as a troublemaker, an instigator. He was one that was going to bring problems to the house of Israel. And if he brought problems to the house of Israel, it would bring problems to Rome. And under this guise is how they, they convinced the authorities to have him arrested. Eventually crucify him. But I don't think it was just that. Because did you read verse 38? And he said, look, Lord. I'm assuming this is Peter talking. Here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So they already have what he told them to go get. But the problem is sometimes we have what Jesus has provided for us already. And we don't know it. But we don't know how to use it either. For when we think of swords, we think of war. We think of doing things on our own. Even in that chapter 14 of Luke if you continued reading after the story of counting the cost you'll find this he says or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 and if not while the other is yet a great way off he will send delegations and ask for terms of peace so therefore anyone who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. So this language is still there over and over in this New Testament, just asking you how to do. And so some would see this scripture as being foretold. 
to fulfill this prophecy written back in Isaiah that these disciples were supposed to be labeled as bandits, as transgressors along with Jesus, for he was just their leader. But if you continue reading chapter 22, you'll get to 49. It says, And when those who were around him saw what was following, they said, and this is when he's been uh, betrayed by Judah, said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. No more of this. And he touched the ear and he healed him. Shall we strike with the sword? Lord, we've got those two swords you told us to have. He said, we didn't even have to go sell our cloak. We already were carrying them. But they were fishermen, not trained military personnel. So if we assume this was Peter swinging the sword, do you think he was aiming for an ear? That would have been a precision marksman if he was just aiming for an ear. He was aiming to take his head clean off but not trained to use this sword he missed. But that's not what Jesus had in mind for them. It wasn't warfare. For this battle that Peter and the other disciples saw coming before them, they'd have been slaughtered, even if they were all armed with the most high-powered technical gear. A whole troop of Roman soldiers came because this Jesus was that bandit they were looking for, this troublemaker, this upriser, this rebel who would try to topple the government. And they came ready for a fight. These fishermen, these tax collectors, this zealot in the group would have been slaughtered. But that was men being men, thinking like men, not as followers or would-be leaders of a community. Because they forgot something important. Jesus' missions comes first. And this was the bigger prophecy that was going to be fulfilled. Of this suffering servant of Isaiah. The one who would suffer. But who would heal or forgive those transgressions. For the Redeemer was about to redeem the world. And this was his battle, not the disciples. They had some resources, but they had them misplaced. They didn't understand how to best use them for the kingdom of God because they still saw the kingdom as being an earthly presence to having David's thrones in the seat in Jerusalem. And for the world to come and beckon to them, they hadn't got it yet because they had not yet been redeemed. They had been given authority. They had been given the power of the Spirit in their lives, but they had not yet received the forgiveness of sin that had to come in the future from this event through the cross and through Jesus' own blood. It wasn't until they remembered these times at Pentecost that they knew what Jesus was saying. This wasn't about bringing holy war on all those against Jesus. For that is still man's ambition. This was about considering the environment we live in. Counting the resources that we have. And following Jesus where we are to go. 
For over and over again, Jesus would tell his disciples, if you want to follow me, you must first pick up your cross. It may have been a common saying in this day. For crucifixion was commonplace. And it was a mark to deter others. It was a public spectacle. They didn't really get it until Jesus picked up his cross. And so weakened by the infliction of the beatings and the lashings. That they had to conscript someone in this crowd to carry it for him. To the hill of skulls, to Golgotha. Where he would give his life for all those presents. For the chief priests, for the officials. Started thinking... This servant, this one who was loyal to this high priest, had his ear cut off and so quickly reattached by the power of Jesus. What do you think he considered after watching everything unfold? Because you know he knew about this Jesus. And he heard the priest talk about what kind of uprising he would cause. And he heard the crowds welcoming in to Jerusalem. Do you think after Christ was crucified, was he one of those when Peter preached at Pentecost? When he preached, you were the one who killed this man. Was he one of those redeemed? I don't know. But I do know this, during this time where Jesus still walked with them, there were people who were confused of what was to take place. They still had their mind on what they wanted God to do for them. And they hadn't yet fully considered what God was doing for them. But when all things were said and done, Jesus told them these words. He said, but now... Let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has a sword sell his cloak and buy one. Just as in chapter 10. And he said to them in chapter 10, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be on this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking. What they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from the house to house. Wherever you go, I've paper clipped my Bible together. Enter a town, and they receive you. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town, and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to my feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom 
than for that town. Even when Jesus is present, the world still rage against him because he was light coming into the dark. He pierced the hearts of man and exposed the truth. He exposed the evil that was in them and in their presence. And as he was leaving them, he was preparing them for the journey ahead. He said, I will provide that money sack. I will provide that knapsack. And I will give you the swords that you need for protection because you go into a land as a lamb among wolves. That is why today we have locks on our doors. That we set up security systems and alarms and people stand watch. That is why we arm military personnel and law enforcement officers so that they may keep the peace. And we pray for our leaders in charge so that they can make the right choices. We stand as the principles of a Christian nation. But yet I tell you, we are not called to go to holy war, to eradicate those who would be against the cross. Because our Lord is patient. And he has sent us out as lamb among wolves to carry the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And some will not receive us. Some will not receive us. But we are tasked to go anyways. And there will be some that will receive the gospel message. And their families will reject them. And they'll be put out of their community. But eternity will receive them as saints. Unless you have the eyes of God and can see the heart inside the heart of man. When we were tasked to carry a sword, it was so that we would be prepared to not let this world take advantage of us, but be ready to do what we needed to do. If you live in an area where you, can't, you need to lock your doors at night, lock your doors at night. Protect the resources that you have. Diversify your income, whatever it means. Do what we can to protect the Lord's resources so that they may be used for his kingdom. And let each and every one of us with the skills that we have been given, whether we are called to serve as law enforcement officers so that others may not, whether we are called to serve in our military so that others may not, Follow where God leads you. For when those soldiers came up to John the Baptist at the Jordan and said, What should we do? He said, Live by the teachings that you have heard. Don't extort money. Only take what is due to you. Be happy with the pay that you receive. But there will be others. There was only two swords among the twelve. Actually, eleven at this time. That was enough. With what our government has in place, that is enough. That is enough. We don't have to go to the store and everybody start packing pistols. Of course, we're in West Texas. I'm not going to tell you to put yours away either. But we're called to be responsible for what we have. Don't be like Peter, the untrained marksman who aims for a head and hits an ear. If you're going to wield a sword, you need to know how to use it and how to use it correctly. Because if you're ever called upon and you make a mistake, 
it will haunt you the rest of your days. So if God's placed on your heart to sell your cloak and to buy a sword, he also placed on your heart to be able to use it and to wield it in a way that is worthy of his kingdom. So let's end there for today. Join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message that you have brought us. Lord, we thank you for the chance that we had to worship you with song and with the reading of your word and with prayer. Lord, we lift up those in our community. We lift up Greg Bishop especially as he is suffering from a bacterial infection from this pneumonia that is, has attacked his weakened body from those treatments that he's receiving. Lord, we ask that you just be with him and that you touch his body, that you give the nurses and the doctors the, the right means to treat him. Lord, we know that the community has rallied around him and is still with him. And he has been displaced these days so far away, away from those who love and talk to him. We ask that you be with the family as they travel to be with him, that you give them safe travels. We also pray for the Green family as they're laying to rest, one of theirs. Lord, but we ask that you give us a discerning heart, that you teach us how to use the resources that you have provided for us, that you teach us how to be the disciples that count the cost and that they consider whether you are in it or not. Because we don't want to be like those ambitious young men who want to wage war when it's not their fight. Lord, teach us to stand our ground when it is our ground to stand and let you to fight the battles that are yours to fight. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Now as we enter our time of invitation, if Jesus has laid something on your heart and you're in need of prayer, please come forward. Maybe he's been knocking at that door for many years, wanting to come in, and you want to share that with the world. Please come forward at this time. Mm -hmm.